And this is another thing that I despise about Android, and I'm, I'm going to save the bulk of this for, for an episode on it, but like, on my phone that I've got in my hand right now, this is a Motorola Z3 Play, I think it is, but anyway, it's a Moto Z3, it's a Motorola phone. Android. Just Android. System. 17 gigabytes. Why? There is no need for that. Well, Jeff, looks like I struck a nerve with somebody. Oh, really? Uh, it surprises me. You never struck a nerve. Yeah, with me. yeah. Never. So apparently, my my comments about JavaScript being a alien plot to destroy humanity, well, they got someone to send in a piece of feedback about it. That's true, though. So we're going to come. To, well, so first off, let's let's address the point that some people believe the plot to destroy humanity is uh, the fact that you know people are reptilians. And they're here to take over us. <laughs> what? Like, for instance, Mark Zuckerberg, he's, he's actually a reptilian and he made Facebook to destroy us. You know, kind of like the plot of the Rick and Morty episode where Jerry made an app and then all of civilization fell. So is this, Clearly, your, hot, is this your hot take on Zuckerberg, by the way? That no, it's people have been asking for? No, my hot take's worse. Uh -huh. So clearly <laughs> that the reptilian thing is not what's going on here. Um, and it's not Mark Zuckerberg and it's not Facebook. But, you know, I'm not going to say it's aliens, but it's it's clearly, it's clearly aliens. Your hair's not sticking up in the air high enough for you to say aliens. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to directly attack humanity if you're trying to take over. You want us to destroy ourselves. Yes. And and JavaScript is, I think, how they're going to do it. Pearl was their first attempt, uh, but clearly it failed. Um, it was just, it was too obtuse and too obscure for it to do enough damage. So they regrouped, rethought, and then, and then came... Then came JavaScript. So it's like the best virus can't kill its host quickly because then it won't spread. The best virus Correct. needs to hang around long enough for it to propagate. Yeah. So, so Pearl killed its host too quickly. Yeah. So Ulfnick chimed in and he did want to let you know one thing, though. Um, and he was born in Dublin, Ireland, and shenanigan is a word. Excellent. But is shenaniganery a word? Uh, well, hopefully he will hear this and he will respond again and let us know. So Ulfnick, let us know. Please let me know. So anyway, he said his comments, he said, your comments about JavaScript made me angry. I am willing to go out on a limb and say a lot of programmers, and in parentheses, myself included, may have never entered programming had it not been for the ease of JavaScript. It's since been responsible for a large portion of my career and allowed a lot of people to do a lot of good work. That ease of use also means more eyes on the code and self-verification. While it's loosely typed, it's been steadily maturing and it grants a lot of freedom for producing clean and short implementation. Between the cathedral and the bazaar, JavaScript is the bazaar's choice for enabling the most people to do the most things. What made me angry is everything you said about JavaScript is correct. <laughs> well, I appreciate your ability to be honest. <laughs> it's a plot to overthrow the world with endless layers of abstraction and bury what otherwise would be promising core developers in a bottomless heap of computational mess that's looking more like string theory oh, every God, day. Oh God, yes. Yes, it is. Many JavaScript developers are now struggling with how to write actual JavaScript because in order to get a career, you have to adopt layer after layer of languages that write the JavaScript for you. This behavior is encouraged even on the Node.js wiki. 
which consistently passes you off to projects that do the things they're teaching for you. I've tried experimenting with Node.js, or with a Node.js project called Strappy, a, and he puts this in air quotes, lightweight headless CMS. Lightweight, right. NPM downloaded 1,054 <laughs> JS libraries to make it work. That's lightweight. <laughs> I love it. These days, I'm worried about jQuery culture. My worries about jQuery culture seem quaint by comparison. Mm. As always, grateful for the show. And he gives us the links, uh, a nodejs.dev link for us, and he gave us the steps to reproduce, awesome. which I will put in the show notes so everyone else can uh, can see. It's sudo apt install npm npx create dash strappy dash app space my project space double double dash quick start cd you change the directory npm install dash dash force ls dash l and and there you go so again i'll put that in the show notes so that's that's all from Nick's comments now jeff when we kind of touched on this before you said you had some some words to share about about javascript so i'm gonna i'm gonna hand it off i to do you. and they're probably not very kind so first of all i just want to get out in front and say uh, all of you that start off in javascript and all of you that develop in javascript regularly um i am not calling you bad programmers i'm not accusing you of being ignorant anything like that i think the language um especially if it's your mother programming tongue the language is doing you no favors uh i started off in c and c is very very simple by comparison but some people find it very complex. I mean, the, the book for C, all the language definition of, you know, the C book is like 160 pages, maybe. Can you imagine describing even like one portion of the JavaScript core in 160 pages, much less the entire language? And then that has nothing to do with all the ecosystems that have been built on top of it. And then one ecosystem builds on top of another. And now you've got this ugly leaning tower of code that's threatening to fall over at any moment. And that's just the normal JavaScript way. I know there are clean ways to write JavaScript. I know there are good tutorials out there that uh, are teaching pure JavaScript. But what I've observed is most people that are starting off in JavaScript, they don't learn JavaScript itself. They learn the tools. They learn the IDEs. They learn the thing that actually does the writing for them. Just exactly what uh, Ulrich was referring to. Um, it, it just seems they don't ever actually get into learning core programming concepts. They're patching things together in switchboard a lot of the time. And maybe it's because JavaScript started off in the browser. That's where I first came into and encountered it. It was, it was always in the browser. Back when I first ran into it in the 90s, it was a toy language for moving. Before we had animated GIFs, you had to flip GIFs around by hand and you, know, you moused over something and now the image needs to change. Well, that's what we use JavaScript for. And so I formed an opinion back then, this is a toy language. Who's ever going to do anything valuable in this? Well, you know, sometime around, what, 07, 08, someone said, no, this isn't just a toy language. Look what we can do. Google decided in 04, this isn't just a toy language. Look, we're going to write all of Google Maps in there. And that was pretty amazing. This is a pretty comprehensive application written in a quote-unquote toy language. So I'm clearly, toy is not the right word to use. But it, it seems to me it's never grown up. Maybe the developers, the ecosystem of JavaScript users, they just keep getting distracted with the new shiny, the new this, the, the improving that. It's, it's kind of like um, everybody is driving around in one manufacturer of car and they just keep getting obsessed with the new model that's coming out. But they never stop to consider that this other manufacturer over here, which uses completely different technology, could be vastly superior. They just 
they're hung up on Chevy and they never lo- go look at um, Ford or Toyota or anything. They just, there's a, all we can ever do is, is Chevy, 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 Chevy. And that's a very American centric uh, approach to it for, for our non-American listeners. I apologize for that, but just, I'm just picking something out of a hat. There are so many other paradigms and so many other languages out there. And so many of the JavaScript developers I have run into have just been almost hostile to the idea of using a different language and broadening their programming skill and broadening their horizons past what they can do with JavaScript. Because now JavaScript being a first class language with everybody else, you can program it on the front end, you can program on the back end in the same language. Why do you ever need to learn anything else? And so there's a whole generation of developers that grew up doing JavaScript and that's all they ever know and that's all they ever want to know. You know, when I was coming up, it was understood that you would learn multiple languages because you had to. You know, this language did one thing well, but it did another thing terrible. Perl was, I know you hate Perl. We have to joke about Perl and its inscrutability, but Perl. I don't actually hate Perl. I just mock okay, Perl. Okay, we mock Perl. You mock Perl. I used Perl early in my, you know, actual adult career. It's very, very good at writing data filters and data analysis tools very quickly. And you don't have to write completely indecipherable code. You can write very clear code in Perl. You just have to be careful and make the effort. You could say that the Perl language doesn't encourage clear code writing, writing of code, but it's still possible. And I would say the same thing about JavaScript, especially this whole love affair with anonymous functions drives me bonkers. We're just going to make a function on the fly because we can, and then that function gets returned to another function who does this, who does that, and then you create these long, indecipherable callbacks, you know, tracebacks. You can't tell because nothing actually has a name. It's just a point in code, and you hope it's right, but this, that doesn't represent the state at that moment in time. And it's so difficult to debug, and I just, uh, every time I've stepped into JavaScript to try and debug it or figure something out, I hate it within 10 minutes. I just, I just hate it. So, mm-hmm. I, again, it's not to denigrate those of you that have invested heavily in JavaScript. I just, it's not for me. And I have to, to look at some of you that have said to me, I've had people say to me, I never want to learn another language. I don't need to. And I'm trying to control my face, but I want to look back at them going, are you cracked in the head? Come on. There's so much more out there to explore. And I'll ha- I've several of the times I've had discussions like, well, what about, and I almost, they like rushed to cut me off. Like, no, 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 it's, it's okay. It does everything I need. There's like, this not even this consideration that they would want to try something else or learn something else. It's, it's so frustrating. It's, it's, there's a closed mindedness in there. And yeah, that's not all Java developers or JavaScript developers. Oh, Java developers, man, that's a totally different ball of wax. They have their own. Problem is, let's save that for another episode, right? By the way, those that are listening, yeah. uh, in case you haven't heard this from anybody, Java and JavaScript are completely unrelated. In fact, I believe JavaScript was named because Java, at the time that JavaScript arrived, was getting very big and very visible and says, oh, we'll just piggyback on the, you know, the name that's getting big and visible. We'll just call it JavaScript. I don't even know if it's called, is it? I've heard people use the term ECMA script too. Is that the same thing? I don't know. I haven't no, heard that. Maybe uh, Ulfnick can correct me on that. I don't know if it's the same thing or not. But then, it, uh, who actually programs just in pure JavaScript these days? It's like pick your framework and program within that. Yeah, and like I get why people do it, but it's there's a I forget who it was, but there's a person that I follow on Twitter or somebody I used to follow who made a comment a while ago about how you're not a real JavaScript developer until you've tried to create your own framework. 
I like that. And, I like that. It's like, that, yeah, well, okay, there are frameworks all over the place. I like the statement. I don't like the, the that that's the expectation, but I love the statement. It's very self-deprecating -de in, in just the right way. Because it's, it's how yeah. many millions of frameworks are out there. Gosh. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't understand. I had similar complaints about Ruby back when Rails was massive and everybody, all the cool developers were doing Ruby on Rails and making fun of the rest of us who didn't want to do it. Yeah, I remember when Ruby was like the hot ticket yeah. and like everybody was talking about it. It was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I just remember thinking, what's what's all this crap about Ruby? Like, what, what's going on? And like people were like, dude, it's great. And I'm like, OK, well, why? And they're like, because it does things great. I'm like, OK, can you give me an example? Oh, it's just better. OK, that's not an example. So I kind of got put off. I mean, it might be a great language. I know people that know mm -hmm. it, but I kind of got put off just because everyone who was talking about it none of them actually seemed to know anything about it other than it was awesome and everyone should use it. And that's, that's, that's not really a there, big yeah. selling... Yeah, that's not really a selling point for me when somebody's like, dude, you gotta use this because it's great. Okay, but why should I use it? Because it's great. Okay, how does it make my life easier? It just does. Okay, no, that's, that's not an argument. Give me something as an argument of why, how it makes my life better, and then you can maybe sell That's me. That's a on school it. playground just, argument there. Right. Just declaring that something is, uh, no, that doesn't mean that it is. So actually, why don't we springboard off of this? Uh, and let's let's talk about our language paths, what oh, we've done, what we've thought about yeah, doing. That's good. Because I don't think we have gone okay, into that. That's good. For myself, I, I think way back in the day, I like read some C and I figured out how I could do math with C. And let me just tell you. I can add numbers and subtract numbers in C better than anybody else. Like, I got that down. Okay, packed. all right. If it comes to simple mathematical operations in C, I am your guy. Just hit me up on GitHub. I'll if hook you If you understand how plus um, works, he's the dude. I am the man. So after that, I, I, I don't know if I should say dabbled in Turbo Pascal, but I screwed around with programs that were written in Turbo Pascal. Basically just taking it and changing values and then, oh yeah, that, this works. Like, for instance, there was one game that I used to play. It was a helicopter game that was written in Turbo Pascal. And I figured out that if I changed a certain number, well, well then when I, when I get this bonus up, I actually get 10 times more than what I should get. <laughs> so it, it, made, it made the game far more fun because I got more missiles and Cheater. bullets. All of a sudden. No, no, quick question. Yeah. Well, is Turbo and I can Pascal, make my score go up is Turbo Pascal and Pascal, is that the same thing? Um, That's a good question. I don't know. Someone listening, please I let us know, because neither of us do. Yeah, I just know that like every it, the in the text around the files at the top, we said Turbo Pascal. So I don't know if they're okay. the same. I don't know. I think they're both Borland right. products. So I think Borland, uh, I recall from the 90s, Borland being very bad about that. Just like they wanted, they made an IDE and they made their version of things. Like it was Borland C, Borland QBasic, Borland this. and they were trying to divide the market and the market wasn't massive back then, but it was like they wanted uh, a captive audience. So I'm used to the Borland way of doing things. So if I need to hop to a different language, because as I alluded to earlier, we hopped languages frequently back in those days. Um, I would mm. hop to a Borland product because I was familiar with it and would have all the same paradigms. So they're creating in the process, they were creating fragmented language like Borland C and ANSI C were not the same thing, that kind of stuff. Anyway, so, right. so it could be that. So, yeah, so from there, I once I got onto Linux, I started dabbling in a, a little bit of Bash, um, just because, you know, it's there. And then later, I started learning a little bit of C++, and then learned Qt. Pretty much where I've been, I haven't really moved on from there. I've, I've wanted to learn other languages, but then I also want to get better at the languages I already know. 
And it's like, should I waste the time to get like to learn something new, or should I spend that time to actually get better at the language I mostly already well, know? Yeah. And that's that's kind of an argument I keep coming, I keep circling around because for a while I've been like, I should learn Python. But then I'm like, well, but if I'm gonna learn Python, I mean, a Go might be more useful for me. Like I might be able to do more with Go. And then I go, well, I've wanted to learn Ada forever because I just think it's cool. And then it's like, well, SCXML, the state, the state XML that QT has is really cool, but I'm never going to use that. And then like, I have friends that are like, dude, you really need to get into Haskell. And I'm like, yeah, you could do cool stuff with Haskell. I don't know what that is, but I've heard that there's people that do cool stuff with that. And then uh, is that even stuff I'm going to do? I've got a few friends who rave about closure. I don't even know what that is, but apparently it's another I've learned language. several times what it is and forget. So it's that notable to me. I'm um, sure it's great. And the other one, the other one that I hear people talk about to me, like, hey, you should you should maybe learn this is Scala. And I don't know why I would want to learn that. I don't know what benefit that would give so me. There's a whole like uh, ecosystem of languages that popped up because it was take a language, modify its syntax, and make it run in a JVM. And that was, you know, there's a lot of very hot languages out there. Like Scala is one of those, I believe. Um, but there's, there was something you said earlier that I want to go back to. You said, should I waste time learning a new language or spend time in reinforcing a language I already have? So it seems like you've already decided that it's a waste of time to go learn something new. You've, you've pre-decided it's not really a fair argument with yourself, is it? Well, no, because no, it, it is a fair argument because if I'm going to spend an hour, I have a un hour unit of time that I'm going to mm -hmm. spend. Okay. Let's just say. I know the benefit I would get from taking that unit of time and spending it learning more C++ and Qt. That is a, a, a value I know I will get. Versus if, let's say I spent an hour on learning Go. Um, now, obviously, an hour is a bad time segment here. So let's say, let's say a month. Am I going to get the same benefit out of that month of Go than what I would get out of learning more C++ and Qt? Because what I actually work on now is C++ and Qt, I, there would be greater benefit for the code I'm working on mm -hmm. now to spend that time learning so more. So that's an opportunity cost versus, discussion then. Yeah. Right. So that's why I say it's kind of a waste of time because I would be better served, I think, learning more of the languages I'm currently using because I've got things I'm in the middle of I need to finish mm -hmm. than learning something new. That being said, however, I definitely would be advantaged by learning something else mm -hmm. but that's more of a long-term so, yeah, so it's a, you know you can use this now so let's go ahead it's the thing it's it's the shareholder approach to profits you know i want you to deliver good numbers this quarter because i want the share to go up and i want my dividend to be high so invest you know do what you have to do invest in the now and some companies take a longer view and they say if we invest for this thing that we think is going to in four years we think uh, water is going to be much harder to come by. So we're going to start investing now in water resources such that when water starts to come by, we're well positioned and we'll make tons of profit mm -hmm. on the upside over there, buying resources now that are cheap or free, whatever. So that's yep. a similar argument. You Well, yes okay. or no, because using that argument, it is very easy to say that it actually is a wiser long-term investment to spend more time learning C++ and QT because the number of C++ developers is probably not increasing at the same rate of Go developers. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So the supply and demand factor of when developers are needed for a project, there's a whole lot more Go developers in the future than there will be C++ developers. And we know from things like COBOL, if you're a COBOL developer, 
you can pretty much name your price if you find a place that needs a COBOL That's developer. a big, tall if. You know, 15 years ago, it was all over Info Week, and, and everywhere, the people were like, you know, I was going to college, like, learn COBOL, learn, learn RPG, learn these, you know, backwards languages that are disappearing. And I remember thinking, I don't think I would mind learning them, but it also means the jobs are going to be harder and harder and harder to find. Yes, those jobs that are available are very, very, very valuable because they're so hard to find someone who programs in it. But you're going to spend a lot of your time captive to the the very small niche that uses this. So like RPG, uh, uh, IBM mainframe language. There's not a lot of people, not a lot of companies using IBM mainframes anymore. If they can help it. Mm -hmm. Banks and financial services and, and like the large, like American Airlines probably still uses IBM. That kind of thing, like very large distributed systems that need to maintain consistency and that kind of thing. They're going to have mainframes. Well, there's only so many of those. And by learning RPG and hitching my star to that language, I'm more or less saying I want to work for one of those people. Otherwise, I've invested an effort in a language I'm never going to use. So, okay, that's an obscure language. C++ is not an obscure no, it's language. Not. It's all it over is. the place. And knowing how long we have used COBOL and still are using COBOL, I'm pretty sure C++ is going to be around for quite a long time. I would say longer, because it's and, in more places. Yeah. And I, like, I know a place who was looking for COBOL developers. I don't know if they still are. It's a chemical company, and they use it for all of their uh, industry control mm -hmm. systems. Like, that's not something that's going to necessarily go away, because they would basically need to redesign all of their factories to get around the way that they currently have everything wired and hooked up and monitored and all that stuff. They've got a massive investment in this setup based on COBOL. So, but to move to something else, yeah, they're basically the saying time, we're, we're shedding all that investment that we've already paid at some cost. So. Yeah, and two years ago when uh, I knew they were looking for people, they had basically put out, you know, quarter of a mil a year offers and they weren't getting responses okay well there's it's easy to to speculate on and why there but i think that would take us a little bit too far afield from what we're trying to talk about right so was there more in your, in, did i cut you off early in your programming language history that you wanted to share more no that's that's pretty much that's okay. pretty much it for me and then just i don't know where what direction i should go in if i am going to spend the time to learn something else you know like again i would love to learn ada but i don't really know if i'm ever going to be in a situation where i would need ada Go would probably something that would be more possible that I could use, but is that going to materialize? It kind of seems like um, I have pocket knife I carry with me everywhere I go, except when I'm on a plane, FAA, or whoever it is that's checking those things. Uh, I'm not bringing it on the plane, or I'm not bringing it into museums in D.C., but I, I have an everyday carry knife. It's going to be great for opening boxes and doing a lot of things that I run into in my daily world. Not so great if I have to go out into the wilderness and use it to survive. I mean, it could suffice in a pinch, but it's not really suited for that. So, uh, what it'd be like learning another language would be like, okay, I want to carry a different knife with me every day, um, and I have to maintain that knife, or else it's going to get dull because naturally, running around pulling mm -hmm. out of the sheath, it just kind of dulls up. So you have to maintain it, just like you have to maintain your knowledge in a programming language because those are always evolving. So. Am I going to be in the wilderness enough to justify getting this bigger knife with, you know, a more aggressive, you know, it's got a saw back on it, it's just, you know, big K-bar or whatever knife. Is it worth it for me to start carrying that around in addition to my existing everyday carry, or perhaps in place of 
Like, am I thinking I'm going to be spending most of my time in the wilderness? Then it would make more sense for me to carry just the one bigger knife that's more suited for the wilderness. It's a similar thinking of, do I learn another language? Do you think you're going to be in the position where you will use it a lot? Now, I like to be in the wilderness. Uh, I find it unfortunate that I live kind of squarely in the suburbs, and I would love to be out and away and surrounded by trees and, and things that want to murder me because I'm not them. Um, actually, humans do that too. But you know, animals and plant life and nature, and I, I, you know, a little more, like, it's dangerous out there, and I like that. I like just being out where nature can harm you. That's, that's what I like to do. And I need a good knife for that, right? So it makes sense. If I, if I want to go invest my life in being out there all the time, yeah, get a different knife. But my job is here in North Texas. I'm not likely to leave my job. And there's not much wilderness near North Texas. You have to really kind of drive for a while to find it. So it doesn't make sense for me to go upgrade my knife to something that I would use, even though it's where I want to go. I don't think it makes sense for me to go ahead and upgrade the knife. I don't think it makes sense for you to learn ADA, even if you would use it for several things. Because who else is using ADA? Maybe if you were in college, you know, if you, if you were to go back and try a degree uh, and, you know, you had your pick of things, you could find a professor who'd let you learn it and call it, you know, learning credits. That could be a good way to do it. But I just, I don't see you using ADA. Now, I've wanted to learn it for a long time, too, because it's, it's got a lot of foundational, like if you go and look at the lineages of programming languages, ADA kind of features heavily in some of these. Like our Smalltalk is another one. Like a lot of these early object-oriented concepts came from Smalltalk. So it'd be interesting for me to go learn those things. And maybe this is a good way for me to segue into my history here. Um, okay. So I started off, um, God, I'm trying to think how old I was. Uh, my dad was electrical engineering, and he wanted me to do electronics, and I was not quite interested in that, but I was interested in computers. So he said, okay, fine. You're interested in computers? I'll get you this programming book on BASIC. So he got me this BASIC for Dummies. Yeah, so I actually, I, I learned Atari Basic. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't really include that in this list because it's not really a programming language. I mean, it sort of is, but I don't really consider it one. Same with Atari Pilot. Like, I didn't include those. Technically, they would be at the beginning. Okay, but, well, yeah. the only reason I, I bring it up is because uh, it's why I chose to do C immediately after. Because I did QBasic for a couple of years. It, it took me a little while for me to really catch it. I was trying it too young, I think, and it took me a while to get through the book. Once I started figuring it out, I was like, man, I don't like the way this language is designed. Here, here's me at age 11 going, this language is dumb. What, what the heck do I know about programming languages? But I had already decided this was poorly designed, and so I started casting about for something that was much more uh, rigorous. It's not the right word, but I'll, I'll latch onto that. Something uh, C is very simple, straightforward, and it's, in my mind, very approachable. You know, you have to understand pointers, and you have to understand pointer arithmetic, and passing around and, and the implications of those things, if you can wrap your head around them. C is very, very simple. And mm -hmm. you just use these same simple things over and over again. And what really got me into C was I started reading books on hacking and computer, you know, break-ins and, and exploits. And a lot of them, you had to be digging into system code, and that was almost all in C. So that meant necessarily, if I wanted to do that, I had to learn C, so I did. And I call that my mother tongue. I, I still think of all these other languages in terms of what is C doing in the background. Like, I know that when I am calling a function and I'm assigning as an argument, I'm assigning an object. What's really happening in the background is the language is not passing the whole, like copying the whole object and putting it in place in, in the stack. It's copying a pointer to it. I know that because that's what C does. And it doesn't make sense to copy the whole object. It just makes sense to copy the pointer. Java 
is very similar to C. It's what I jumped into next because that was what college was doing. Um, but they take all the pointers away. So it's like a oh, C. It's very similar to C++, I guess. Um, so I, I went from C to C++ because that's what they were teaching in school. I didn't really learn a lot in school. I already learned a lot of programming, but I did learn about C++ and then Java and then started doing my own thing. Started learning Bash because I was reading scripts, uh, Slackware scripts. And then I learned Perl because I needed to for a job. And then I started learning, I flirted with Python briefly, but I didn't like how the white space was, was mandatory. Like you've complained about that before. I didn't like that either. I, in fact, I found it stupid uh, at first. And it wasn't until I figured out how to change my editor. So it had these little uh, vertical dotted lines to indicate the indications and it suddenly didn't matter anymore. Yeah, but see, then your, your, your ability to program cleanly is based on you using an editor that adds graphical stuff to it instead of just being able to open up a text file and well, go. Well, okay, that's how I got started. I don't need those anymore. But it was, it was the guide that helped me get into it. Once, once I was able to get past the white space thing and to see what Python can do and one of the reasons, you know, numerous reasons that I like it, you can edit the Python, like... The act of starting a script or starting a REPL is creating an instance, which you can then start monkeying with. You can start patching the running Python instance that you're in, if you want. Ruby does this too. I think it's, it's one of the things I like about Ruby. One of the few things I like about Ruby. But you can, you can edit the environment in which you live. And so if you want to know all the objects in the environment, there's a command in Python called dir. It just says, here, give me this object. And... Every object can possibly contain, not every object, most objects can contain other objects. It's expressed as a dictionary. Dirt just goes and prints all the keys from that dictionary. And that made mm -hmm. immediate sense to me. So starting, I, I don't remember when I actually started doing Python for real, like 2013, something like that. But somewhere in there, uh, I would have to say, I do count like awk. And said, and some of the more, I don't want to say obscure, but less commonly used command line tools from the last 30 years. Uh, I, I learned all of those in there somewhere out of necessity because I was doing a ton of command line stuff. Um, somewhere along the way, I did C Sharp, I think for a job. It seemed like I, every job I, I had wanted something else. And so I was like, okay, fine, I'll go learn that. And I just kind of picked up languages like someone might pick up uh, souvenirs, I guess. So I've got fragments of all these different languages running around in my head. And I get them all conflated. Except JavaScript. Not trying to drag us back to our original topic, but JavaScript, I've run into it numerous times. And every time I run to it, it leaves me with a scar. And I'm like, oh, screw that. I ain't going back to that. That's why you remember it. You have the, the bodily damage in yeah. your brain that it inflicted uh, upon yes, you. Actually, uh, well, bodily damage in the brain. But uh, yes, it leaves the damage. It leaves the marks. And I'm like, gosh, I touched that stove before and it was really hot then. I bet it's hot now too. Okay, what I mean is, it doesn't leave a scar on your flesh, it leaves a scar in your soul. Okay, I won't dispute that. I think that's a good characterization. JavaScript hurts your soul. You heard it here first. Hot take from JT. Again, plot to destroy humanity. <laughs> it can't be that simple, but maybe it is. You know? But maybe, maybe it's not simple, but it is that easy, right? It's, it's a... Because it that language, JavaScript... <laughs> I don't want to sound coarse, like, oh, that language, but it's taken off in a way I never anticipated. It makes obvious sense, like, oh, we have this language that runs in the browser, but I don't want to just have a browser all the time, so how do I make it so I can run that on just a regular old system? Oh, I know, I'll take the core JavaScript engine from a browser and encapsulate it, and that's what I'll run it on. So for all of you that don't know, that's what Node.js is. It's just like the, the, the JavaScript core from a browser 
wrapped up and made friendly to Windows or Linux or whatever you're running it at. That's all it is. So when I learned... Electron is like Flash for the yeah, desktop yes, it is, now. It is. Uh, Electron shall... Uh, if I had my, my druthers, I'd rather never have an Electron app on my systems anywhere because it's just so heavy. Unnecessarily heavy. Mm -hmm. I'm biased against languages that bring in unnecessary cruft. Because I, I started my computing in an era where resources were scarce and cruft was a, 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 um, something we couldn't afford, you know? It's a niceness mm -hmm. that we really couldn't afford. That's why C out was so lavish with how it spent its characters. Like, oh, we're going we're gonna to print out this text to the screen and we're going to use these double carrots to do so. And it seemed very lavish to me that you weren't, like, writing very concise code. But you know, that was early in the days when we don't have to worry as much about how much RAM we're spending or how much hard drive space we're using. Yeah, and this this then gets us into programmers are so lazy in writing programs, they don't care about the actual impact. Like, oh, for example, yeah. and I love to rant, and I want to be clear, I am not against the developers of this project, okay? I just think what they're doing is horrible. <laughs> They probably are great people, but what they are doing is bad. And that's the um, the burner, Etcher, for burning ISOs. Oh, those guys. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. At the end of the day, it is taking an ISO or an image or whatever, and it is burning it to a USB mm -hmm. stick. Okay? This is something you can accomplish with one line of shell. Instead, it is, as of software version 1.5.86, a hundred and 30 megabyte what program. What the heck? Why? Well, I believe it's an Electron app. Okay, so that's 60 uh, maybe I'm wrong. or 70 right there. But that is ridiculous for something that's just writing yes, to media. Yes, it is. It, it, it really is. And as a, as a puppy developer, I used to push releases the entire OS with a browser, with a word processor, with a spreadsheet application, with all of that stuff was less mm. than this. But yet, here we are. If you ever go, for, for Mac OS users, um, this might frighten you, but go look at your binaries that you use all the time. You know, actually, go look at... So, an application in Mac OS is actually just a directory with a bunch of stuff inside, but you can still get the size of the app, and you'll find like 800 megabytes, 900 megabytes. Why so mm -hmm. big? Well, partly it's because those resources, like on a Windows system, you'd have the binary executable, and then separately from that, you'd have all the resources it's interacting with. In Mac OS, they combine them all down. So it's kind mm -hmm. of the same thing, but it's really frightening to look at Excel is 1.2 gigabytes or something absurd. Word, 1.3. Uh, I had those on my work laptop. Unfortunately, I'm stuck with them. But they're massive, and I can't do a thing about it. And I, I also realized that the macOS uh, application format was built specifically to support multiple architectures, you know, fat binaries. And because they had the yeah. transition between you know, power architecture and Intel back in the middle 2000s. And so they wanted mm -hmm. to support both of those with one, you know, one format. So that's, that was key to it. And so people just started abusing that to, well, we don't need to worry about it. We'll just kind of compile for all the architectures we might possibly run into. And who cares? And, you know, with massive, massive yeah. applications. I hate that. And this is another thing that I despise about Android. And I'm, I'm going to save the bulk of this for, for an episode on it. But like on my phone that I've got in my hand right now, this is a Motorola Z3 play i think it is but anyway it's a moto z3 it's a motorola phone android just android system 17 gigabytes oh that's Why? disappointing there is no that's need so for that. disappointing and, but again i will get into that at, at oh, a later i'm point. looking forward to that um 
That's a uh, oh, Android is a sore topic. I want to tear me, that down. I, I might take multiple multiple um, episodes on that because I got some things to say about that uh, too. Potentially, potentially, Gosh. yeah. That that might be a a, a, a complex mm-hmm. one. I think so. A good mixture of history and rant, you know, kind of opinion and fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'd be. I think that's uh, right up our alley there because uh, we did say in episode zero that's what we wanted to do, right? <laughs> we yep. wanted our hot takes, it, our opinions, and we wanted our history. So to to bring this bring this back to what I you were saying before I interrupted. Are there any languages that you've thought like I would like to learn that but just haven't? I mean, I know you mentioned mm-hmm. Ada, but like are there any others that you've thought about like that would be really cool to know. Like if you could snap your fingers and know a language, what would you what Prologue. would you pick? What is it? It is a not functional. It's a logic programming language. It's like for the best way I can describe it as I, as I understand it, I ran into this in my programming languages course in undergrad. And um Okay. It's not so much you're declaring statements, or you're not you're not declaring do this in this order. In fact, statements can technically be uh, operated in any order. You're declaring the state of things. Think about one of those logic puzzles that you probably did when you were growing up, and you have mm-hmm. uh, all these things across the top and all these things across the side, and you're trying to find which one matches which, and you're, you know, each one lines up one, and you have to go read through the clues and figure out which what. That's kind of like what Prolog does, but it does it on a grander scale. Like, you just declare... Okay. Like, if you wanted to solve a Sudoku with Prologue, you could do so in probably, like, seven statements. Now, it would take a really long time, because it's, it's kind of not intelligent about how it would choose to compute the space. So if you were to right. give it a Sudoku puzzle that had four missing entries, it would be quick. But if it's missing 40, uh, prepare to wait a while. But the program itself okay. to solve the Sudoku puzzle would be very short, because you're just declaring a couple key statements, and you're done. Now, why, why I first ran into it in, in college, but I remember reading a book on early AI and some people were doing something very similar. I don't think prologue was something similar. Writing simple declarative statements about things and expecting, if you were to give enough, if you give enough context and you tell the computer, just go figure this out and give it enough resources, it'll come with the right conclusion. And it turns out that's kind of what we're doing, partially what we're doing now. We just keep throwing resources at a problem until we have enough resources for it to finish. Uh, that's a gross simplification of model building. I, I don't mean to be insulting to our AI developers or AI cultivators out there, whatever the right word is. Um, but Prolog, I just, I love the simplicity of make some statements, let the computer do the heavy lifting. It's not really programming so much as it's declaring very cleanly what your intent is and what your input data is. Um, and I, I have absolutely no use for it. I would never, I, I don't, I can't think of a use case where someone's going to want to use Prolog for something like commercial. It just seemed like such a neat thing. So it's on my mm-hmm. list of if I had all my other needs taken care of and I had all the time in the world, I'll just go mess around with Prolog. You know, uh, probably uh, Scheme is also on that list because there are quite a lot of use cases where it's good. And I see lots of neat tools and neat ecosystems and, and things that I want to learn written in Scheme or ML. And I've, I've dabbled with it, but never enough to really call myself a programmer of Scheme. Uh, at best, I can read it with, like, the same way I can read Spanish. You know, I have to have my Spanish-English translation dictionary and Google Translate, and then something else I can just look for context, and then I can, quote-unquote, read Spanish. Likewise, I can read mm-hmm. Scheme if I have all my references up. I couldn't write it. But uh, those two languages, for, for me, I think, they're, they're not useful in my everyday job, and maybe that's why I want to learn them, because it's something new. Okay. Yeah. So is Ada the one if you had to pick one? What if you what if you could pick two? Like I just picked two. What's your mm. second? Um 
Gee. If I if I could pick two, I don't know, like part of me would just say for for the for the second, uh, would just be to be a master at what I already know with C and QT. Okay. I think that's valid. Yeah. If that's if that's not an acceptable answer and I have to pick something else, then I would say probably the next one that I would do would be go. Yeah, I was I was gonna suggest probably the next one would be go based upon what you said. But I think it's perfectly valid to say I don't if I have this effort to spend, I'll spend half of my effort on learning this neat new thing and half of it on strengthening whatever I already got. Well, we, well, my question to you was if you could just snap your fingers oh, and know something. Oh, okay. Well, so if so, you... In that case, in that case, knowing everything C++ can do right there in and of itself is like three lifetimes worth of, right, of learning. Right, so I don't, I don't think you can so. really say that effectively. So uh, that stretches the boundary of imagination too far for me to really... To, well, I mean, I'm already getting magical with I snap my fingers and I just know something. So. Okay, let's say this. If I can snap my fingers and know something, I don't think I would spend that knowing something on programming languages, right? That's... Well, we're, no, because the, 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 the context here is that it only works on programming right. languages. Okay. Well, Sorry. within that context, I, I, I don't revise my, uh, my choices. But if it's not just context, like if we're broadening this, I don't know we're not, but if we were, I would not choose programming languages to know, frankly. Different topic, different, yeah, okay. different, different episode, possibly. I can be bribed to talk about uh, it, maybe in the Matrix channel. No, no, like I can, I can agree with that. If I mean, I would even stick with languages. I would wish to be able to know all the French I used to know again. See, I don't think so. that would be a good spend of that one wish because you've already learned it, which means it's it's yeah, in that no, 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 you, you didn't forget <laughs> it all. The pathways are still somewhere in your brain, so it would take some effort to go recapture them, but it would take much less effort than learning something new. Wouldn't it be a better spend okay, so, to so, spend on something brand so, so, new Greenfield? I don't know. So for, I mean, in one aspect, I understand what you're saying. Uh, in other aspects, because of injuries that I have sustained in oh. life, I do think there actually is some potential of some cerebral, I, I don't know if damage is the right word to say. But, oh, I think that's appropriate. Um, it, it, you need to stop picking fights <laughs> yeah, with the okay. ground, so um, let's just, just stop that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you should have seen the other guy. Um, <laughs> So anyway, yeah, so like, I, I don't know. It's in there. Sometimes I, 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 like I hear, like I can follow along conversations, but as soon as it goes to me having to say something, it's like, eh, <laughs> the words do not come to mind. So anyway, that's off topic. We don't need to get into that. What we can get into is some Ooh, feedback. feedback. Yeah, I got an email from Joe and he said that he just wanted to say that he really enjoy the Opinion Dominion podcast and that we have made him want to try Slackware. Oh, excellent. Oh, I'm so happy. Um, that's, that's amazing. He said it should be a, he said it should be a good next step after installing Arch a few times and he will update us once he has it up and running. And I let him know that Slackware is not as complex and as hard as people it's think not. it is. Like there's this legacy of Slackware being super, super difficult and it's really not. And especially nowadays, like if you can format your hard drive, that's probably the most difficult step in the process is the partition and the formatting. And then it just, the installer works and boom, you have a system mm. up and running. And yeah, to maintain it, you have to go in and flip all the knobs because they don't flip them for you. But other than that, that's just basic sysadmin mm -hmm. stuff. So, so hopefully we will hear back from Joe. And this actually brought up an idea, um, Jeff. And I wanted to, I'm going to run this by you live instead of giving you a chance to oh, ponder okay. on it. So I get your answer live okay, on air. Here comes my hot take. And that is, what do you think about us picking up some obscure distros, trying them out, and giving our thoughts? Uh, I like the idea. Um, it feels kind of like what we tried uh, at Self uh, Saturday night. A little like that, but that, of course, was right. Linspire, which is your no, favorite no, my, distribution, which you, you for, use all you the time. You forgot a syllable so, there. Least favorite. No, least, most favorite. Least, least favorite. favorite. 
Most reviled. Okay, if you want most, most reviled distribution. Most loved. No, most no. loved. Don't people don't let Jeff fool you. He's a fan. Anyway, uh, since we're both old Slackware guys and we've been around for for a bit, I think it might be interesting. Some of the the new up and comers mm -hmm. that have been around for a few years, and to just kind of see how much they've matured, where they are, what our thoughts are. I just thought, hey, that might be an interesting thing. I don't know if if we'll actually enjoy it. I don't know if the listeners would enjoy it. So if if you're listening and you're like, hey, that would actually be interesting to hear what two old farts think about the new hotness. Let Send us, us know. suggestions and, uh, on what we should be trying. This would be hilarious. Yeah, I've got I've got a few in a list, but uh, yeah. let us know what you think. And don't just say try Arch. Don't just say try Gen two. We've both been there. We've both done that. Something obscure or new or small that doesn't have much attention. Um, that we may have not even known about or have maybe just heard. And let's also say uh, must have been published a, a distribution edition that must have been published in the last 12 years. How about that? Because generally, yeah, it obviously has to be something right. we can get. And, and I, I don't have much old hardware lying around here. So I'd have to like fly over to JT's house, which is kind of perilous right now. And we've had to find pull out some of his old hardware to do some of this stuff. So ideally, something we could be doing on reasonably modern hardware. But I think it'd be hilarious. And ideally, ideally something we can actually run in virtual. Oh, right. So we don't have oh, to install better. on a fresh system. So if you've got some ideas, let us know. If you've got thoughts, feedback, opinions of your own on anything we've talked about today, uh, let us know in Telegram, in Matrix, via email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we will cover it in a future episode. And we still have a whole bunch more feedback to cover, uh, but we'll be saving that for future episodes. By the episodes. way, I did rise to the occasion. I have joined the Matrix channel now. You can stop making fun of me for that. I mean, there's a thousand other things to make fun of me for, but just, you can't do that one anymore. Okay, so people, we have to get creative on why we're making no, fun of you. No, you don't. Show. I've given you tons of low-hanging so fruit. Put your thinking caps on. So, okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good day, night, whatever it is, wherever you are, and be excellent to each other. Remember also that JavaScript is terrible. <laughs> <laughs>